For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, oh, Monday uh, towards the evening, close to 5 o'clock, and uh, I'm going to do the parasha uh, this week, a little complex, which is being sponsored um, by Ruth Rotenberg and Glenn Miller, they did in previous years also, because tomorrow is the uh, yard site, the 18th yard site of their daughter, Ataniel Gavriya Margalit Shalom who she tells me had a passion for learning Torah, Eretz Yisrael, was connecting with people and was always searching for opportunities to do acts of chesed. So I hope this will be a tribute to her, a worthy tribute to her memory. And uh, thank you both for um, sponsoring. So again, it's in Lezecher Nishmas, Ataniel Gavria Margalit, um, and Nisham Shabalia. Uh, yeah, Parshas Mishpatim, uh, as everybody knows, there's a jumble among the commentaries with Yisra Mishpatim, like, is it in order, is it out of order, did Yisra come before the Torah was given, after, and all that stuff. So I want to put my uh, construction on it. Uh, it is clear that in both Parshas Yisra Mishpatim, you have to do with judicial and law giving and legislating and all that stuff, not simply the Ten Commandments. Although that's there too. And we have we start the parsha today, as everybody knows. Now we get down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, you know, what they call the regulations. You know, the government can pass a law. But then comes the bylaws and the regulations and all that stuff. That's what the Elam is. You can't say just have a just society. you got to spell it out in greater detail. Now, the story of Yisro precedes this. It's possible, according to some constructions, according to some of worship, it immediately precedes this. It's possible that it's Yisra shows up much later, like David Ezra says in the, in the following year. It's unclear. But going with the plain shot, which is things go in order, so the Jews crossed the Red Sea, <clears throat> then the other side of the desert, the Sinai Peninsula, and then Yisra shows up. And he has his five minutes of fame, in which he recommends a, a reorganization of the judiciary, as we know, and then he hits the road, and then comes the Ten Commandments. That's the usual way of, plain way of understanding it. And then comes Elam Mishpatim. So it's funny. Yisro was saying, I want you to set up a whole system of Mishpatim. Mishpatim needs judges and uh, you know rules and all that, and he was proposing to do just that, take it off the, the back of poor Moses, and, uh, you know, he sort of did it and sort of did not. And then comes Ve'ilam Mishpatim, which is strange. Because the Chazal say, how could people be ju- coming to Moshe to judge them on the basis of what? That's why they want to say that the Dinim was already learned, you know. Although that's not what it says. It says in the Parsha, comes after the Ten Commandments. So that's why I say it's a jumble, it's confusing. And, you know, if you want to give an old-fashioned Dvar Torah, you can say, you know, Sadiqon says this way, and... Even as it says that way, and so on and so forth. I'm sure a lot of rabbis will do that um, this week's parsha. It seems impressive to the audience. Well, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. It's unclear exactly what Yisrael had in mind. And I saw something very interesting last week in the Meshach Chachma, 
I mentioned in my show, who says that Yisro showed up. Um, he had been the Kohen Midian. He'd be the top dog in Midian. So he certainly came with administrative experience, even judicial experience, possibly. So he wasn't just shooting out of his mouth. You know, he knew how a a, a legal system was to be set up. Believe you me, when um, a lot of these new countries came to be after Second World War, post-colonialism, they had to bring in foreign experts to show how to set up a judiciary. And it's always a question of fine-tuning it or, you know, imperfections. As we know, as I speak, there's huge disagreement in Israel over the Supreme Court and how it should be constituted, what its power should be, and so forth, as we all know very well. Right, as we all know very well. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Yisrael, we're told, tells Moshe, you can't handle this all yourself. No old people, it'll wear you down. Instead, get a whole bunch of uh, of uh, judges to, to take your place. Except for the heavy, hard stuff that they can't handle. But other than that, they can do it. As we all know the story. So the Lashon is, Ata Sechse, Mikola Oman Shecha Yiris, Yire Hashem, whatever the Oivem is, Sony Betsa, and so forth. So listen again. Ato Sechsim Kohaom. You should choose out uh, from the Om. Don't say from Yisro. Now, what I'm saying now is the word of the Meshachachma, not me. And therefore, Yisro was suggesting that you can pick even people who are Gerim. In fact, the Meshachachma suggests what he had in mind was uh, Erev Okay? Erev now, um, think about this. And again, this is the Meshachachov's idea, although I'm going to put my own spin on it. When you and I say the Erev Rav, I'll bet you most of us think there's a bunch of escaped slaves who ran away from Egypt along with the Jews. Maybe a couple of sincere ones. Um, based on the idea, I suppose, that the door of it was open from Egypt for five minutes. So get the heck out of there while you can. When we have the story of the exodus from Egypt, it was not a liberal kind of thing in which God said, I'm opposed to slavery, therefore I'm going to let the slaves go and just sign an emancipation proclamation for the whole of humanity. The way the Charlton Heston movie sounds. Uh, because... Only one group of slaves was liberated and not on the basis of God's being <coughs> against slavery but rather God being against the Israelites having slavery based on an entirely different factor not a principled opposition to slavery but B'ni B'chori Yisrael I have a special Kesher with this particular ethnic group they're from Avram Yitzhak Yaakov etc. etc. So that means that Moshe was telling Paro, let the people go, because Hashem said, B'ni B'chari Yisrael. No, this is the wrong group to enslave. You can enslave the others. And when the ten plagues happened, it doesn't say all the slaves went free. All the slaves used the opportunity to liberate themselves. 
because it wasn't about the other slaves. It was about the Klal Yisrael that they should get out. So naturally it's understandable that when, by a series of weird incidents called the Ten Plagues, Paro was compelled at the end to send the Jews out, the Jewish slaves out. So you have a Rav one only thinks, which is, you know, a, 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 guy, a low class guy, a socioeconomic low class, who said, take me with you. Either I see your God is very powerful, or I just want to get out of being a slave, or, you know, stuff like that. Um, after all, Egypt was a cruel uh, slave empire. They all were. And if you have an opportunity to get out, get out, right? If you can leave, leave. You know, uh, Russia always had an iron curtain. But if you know your history, in 1945 and 46, when the war was over, and a lot of people moved back to where they lived before, and there was, and for a while, about two years or so, there was a lot of moving of millions of people walking across Central and Eastern Europe to go back home or not to go back home. And at that time, Stalin kind of opened the doors for a few minutes. And whoever took advantage of that, not many Russians did, could get the heck out of Russia. I mentioned uh, Chaim Grada the other day. How did he get out of Russia? The war was over. He had Polish citizenship. He could leave. You see, you know, like that. So in a similar way, you had the Erevrov, and they checked out the situation, and said, we're leaving. And indeed, there's a very famous Chazal that blames the um, Egel Azov on the Erevrov. The Rambam does also. And uh, it says, I've mentioned this before, it's a very vivid medrash, uh, we'll see next week or a couple weeks, Lech Rei Kishich Hamcha. So when Moshe is up on the mountain getting the, 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 the tablets, God says, Lechrei, go down, because your people have become corrupt. He said, what do you mean, my people? It's not your people too, Moshe says. And God said, I'm not talking about the Jews, I'm talking about the Erev. You insisted on taking them. I didn't want to take them. I said, I just want the Jews. You insisted, you were firmer than I. Moshe was firmer than God. We've discussed this phenomenon, that Moshe goes in his own way, whatever Hashem says, regardless of what Hashem says. This is a very good example. So now, you know, look what happened. I told you not to take them. You insisted on taking them, and now they cause a lot of trouble with Eglazov. That's the famous Medrash. But the point is that at the point when Yisro shows up, the Jews have a large camp, including a fair amount, we don't know how many, a fair amount of Erev of these Goyim who left who now want to join. And, you know, it's a question. I'm not talking about conversion or anything like that, because that didn't exist yet, but they want to join. Uh, okay. Now, as I said, usually we think of these, correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet you you are the same way, as, you know, not high individuals. But in the country, slaves, ex-slaves, people want to get out of their current situation, and so forth. However, the Meshachach seems to suggest or it could be me, that uh, what I said is not true. They Rav included all kind of people. No question that included bad people who later on made the golden calf. That is true. But there's also no question that they also included good people. I'll just give you one example. Moshe Rabbeinu's stepmother, Abyssia. You can't say that she was, uh, you know what I mean, uh, still an idolater or something like that. It's all types. All types. Why am I saying all this? 
So Yisro shows up. The whole Jewish people come out to gather, and they had a big banquet, if you remember. Right? And he sees um, Goyim there, Erev Rav. But he discerns that the Erev Rav includes all kind of types. And yes, it probably included ex-slaves and things of this nature. Agreed. But they also included high-class Goyim who wanted to join the Jews because they saw the Nisim and the flows that were by the, by the Ten Plagues. And they said, this is the real religion. This is the real God. After all, when they left Egypt, it says, did idols melted and stuff like that. And so there were a lot of intelligent Egyptians, I repeat, intelligent Egyptians, who said, this is the real thing, therefore we're joining up with the Jews, even though they themselves were not Jewish. Um, and so, <coughs> yes, <coughs> the era of Rob included, um, you know, uh, as I said before, farmhands and things of that nature, you know, plowmen, Yes, that's true. But it also included graduates of the Harvard Law School. It also included federal judges and state judges, people of all types who were the intelligent type, who took a look at what happened with Claudius Yisrael and the Templates, and they said, this is the real thing, and we're signing up, we're joining. Now, that means that Yisrael um, would have known, as he looks around, he said, wait a minute, you've got a lot of people here but I can tell we're not born Jewish, not ethnic, ethnically. There I over there, I see Oliver Wendell Holmes. And here I see John Marshall. And here I see some eminent jurist. You know, notice hush of people of high rank who had held important posts in the administration of Egypt. Now, by the way, Moshe Rabbeinu had been one of them once upon a time. Uh, this is always something that's very unclear. What was the early life of Moses? And obviously there are different schools of thought in Chazal. Uh, that is true, and Dawes is going to be a very frummy one, in which even though Pharaoh's um, uh, daughter adopted Moshe, but according to the super frummy scen uh, um, scenario, she totally adopted him, and then she gave him up to, to his family. So he was totally raised among Jews to a certain point, and by Yocheven, and by Amram, and, and Miriam, and so on and so forth. And then, it's not clear, but... Uh, and, and by the way, he went to Yeshiva, I'm not finished. And he went to uh, uh, to study by the uh, Arizal type of people. Why do I say this? Because you know and I know that the Torah says at the beginning of his career, when he's already a prince of Egypt, and he encounters the Jews, and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating up a Jew, he decked the guy and buried him, one, two, three, like someone had experienced handling of violent situations. And everybody knows that there are different opinions how he killed him. And one shot is he used the Shem Hashem, right? Now, another one is, in the same Medrash, no, he didn't kill the guy with the Shem Hashem. He took like an axe or a shovel and bashed the guy's head in, which is a little more 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 likely. And saying, what do you mean by Yachaz HaMitzvah Busted the guy's head wide open. Why? Moshe had been a general. He knew he knew his way around the sword, around the things. Therefore, he did like in New Jersey, you know, like in Brooklyn. Busted the guy's head in and dumped him next door to, to Jimmy Hoffa in the ground. So, makes a difference. If you hold that he did it, B'Shem Hashem, that's giving an entire interpretation of Moshe Rabbeinu having grown up in a super from environment. Uh, it's a little strange, though. 
the uh, Egyptian, the Jews are being uh, tortured and killed. The Levites are are not. Moshe hangs around the Levim growing up, even though he's Pharaoh's uh, stepson, and he, like I say, he learns in Lakewood, he learns in Panavish, then he even learns by the Rizal, like I say, because if you can use the Shem Hashem, you you know more than Baba Kama, okay? And then somewhere or other, he returns to the palace and whatever. But the Pashim shot is not that way. The Pashim shot is, the Moshe killed the Egyptians, like I said before, <coughs> using whatever tool is available in the street. And <coughs> Moses has been an Egyptian general and things like governor of Ethiopia even and all that. And therefore, Moshe himself had been an Egyptian judge and administrator. So here comes his father-in-law and says, Ata you know, Sony Betza, you really him? Look out here. You're wearing yourself down by judging all these cases. You have a lot of qualified and experienced judges here from the Erevrav. Um, and they have, you know, they know how to do, you know, trials and all the rest of it. And so they can handle it for you. Only in a rare case will they have to come on to you and you'll save yourself a pain in the neck. That's the meaning of sechs and mikol ha'am. Now Moshe did not agree, and he did not do it. This is vayivcha Moshe anashim mi Yisrael, not mi ha'am. Again, that's not my word, that's a meshachachma. That he picked Jews, because if they're going to judge other Jews, I want people who are born Jews. Not gerim, who are coming now, five minutes ago they converted, and now they're going to lord it over them. Because otherwise it would constitute a big plot on the part of Yisrael to seize control of the situation by having his type of guys whom he knew, because remember, they say Yisra had been a counselor in Egypt, so he had experience there, and he would then control the judiciary under the guise of just working for Moses. Uh, so that experiment, <coughs> the part of Yisra didn't work, that attempt <coughs> to launch what would amount to a judicial coup d'etat, uh, not violent, but judicial coup d'etat, Moshe wouldn't do it, and even though, as we all know, he couldn't find Sony Betts and all the rest of it, all he got was Anchi Chayel, but Moshe is a Yiddish Yid by this point, and Moshe like this. I'd rather get a born Jew, a born Yid who's not so qualified, didn't go to Harvard Law School or Columbia, but is a Yiddish Yid, and he'll and and the other and he should judge the fellow Jews to get somebody who was trained in another culture, even though he might have the knowledge, and but he only joined us five minutes ago, and better that that, that uh. So I better get the unqualified guy than the qualified guy uh, to judge everybody. So it's quite a little drama over there. When Yisro sees that um, his advice is not really taken, he hits the road. What happens next? The Jews very shortly to get the Ten Commandments. Uh, okay. What happens next? Well, after they get the Ten Commandments, well, I said that wrong. They hear the Ten Commandments, right? They 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 come to Shavuos when the Aseris Adibris are pronounced. But then, following that, comes the Elam Ishpatim. So let me get this straight. Moshe did recruit a judicial force. It wasn't the guys that Yisra recommended. It wasn't Min Ha'am. It wasn't Mi Yisrael. They weren't so qualified. All he got was Anshechayel. He didn't get all the rest of it. But nevertheless, these are the Moshe's appointees. And the type of people he figured that the Bnei Yisrael will be able to handle. 
But now they don't know what to do. And therefore, at this point, after having gotten the Ten Commandments and all the rest of it, what happens now? Hashem tells Moshe, you got this force of judges that you just recruited, so I'll give you the basics that they have to know. Don't go the Israel route. Don't go by Egyptian law, Midianite law, or any of the rest of it. You go by Jewish law. And let's right get down to uh, practical. Because the first case he talks about, as we all know, is Abed Ivri, which is very interesting because, again, ordinarily one would think that God was giving them rules that would apply only when they get to Israel many years later. But if you think about Islav Davka, because, as I've mentioned many times, uh, Moshe was judging cases before the Ten Commandments were given. That's what Yisra gave him his advice. Why was he judging cases? What kind of Chosha Mishpat problems would you have when everybody left Egypt a millionaire? With, you know, camels with, with Kezibazov. Everybody was rich. The answer has to be, at least to my way of thinking, that everybody could start out rich, but a, a couple weeks later, seven weeks after they left Egypt at least, uh, or a little more, you have rich and poor. How so? There are smart people and not so smart people out there. And the way of capitalism is the smart people get the money from the non-smart people. As they gate this. I'm not talking about cheating and stealing. I'm talking about just using clever. If I can really sell you sell you, you know, futures in uh, Swampland in uh, Florida or something like this. If you're dumb enough to, to do it, you're dumb enough to do it. Get it? Uh, you'd be so, Some people are such good salesmen and all the rest of it that the other guy's silly putty in their hands. I'm like that, meaning I'm the silly putty. I've had a couple times. <laughs> I was once many, 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 many years ago in Ocean City with my wife for shops. They have a place there and they had a thing. If you go listen to the salesman, uh, what you call it, who's going to make a pitch to buy a condo there or something like that, uh, you'll get as a prize a um, barbecue grill. And there was somebody I knew who was getting married and wanted to give him a nice present. So I said, we'll go to the thing, we'll hear the pitch, and then we'll get the barbecue grill, and that'll be the, the, the matana for the, for the wedding that we give him. Well, I went there, and the guy went through the whole shtick and spiel, and I was silly putting his hands. At that time, especially, I didn't have a penny in the name. And I was ready to sign to go buy some kind of condo in Ocean City, Maryland. You know, fortunately, my wife was there, and she, and she held me down and shut me up, you know. And she said, keep eyes on the prize. We're here just to go through this, and they can get the uh, the barbecue grill. Uh, now, what does that mean? There are people like me, and then there are people like that salesman. The people that are very good at bamboozling the others. I repeat, it's not through Geneva or Gazela. It's just, you know, coming on hard sell. It's legal, but then woe to the dumbbell. People like me. Now, um, that's what happened there. That's what also happened 3,000 years ago uh, to the B'nai Yisrael. So everybody left loaded with gold and silver, but the smart people, the financially smart people, went over to the other people, and by the time they're finished, the old gold and silver that was by Reuben is now by Shimon. You see? Uh, now maybe Shimon, maybe Reuben bought, uh, <laughs> you know, shares in some uh, rocket ship, <laughs> you know, to the, to the moon, whatever, uh, but he was dumb enough to do it, and it was a free country, 
And so he undertook it. So what do you see, sadly? <clears throat> that by the time you get to Shavuos, or around that time when they're in the desert, or in the time of Yisrael, there are people who, who lost all their money and then end, ended up in Hawk and had to borrow money. Yesterday was a million or today's borrowing money, and they can't pay. Well, what do you do with those guys who were there in the camp of Israel at the foot of Harsinai, having lost every penny because of their improvidence, their imprudence, their non-prudence, and now Nebuch, their financial basket case, and they've been persuaded by smarter people to go into debt and this and that and the other. And so you and I know, what do we do with such people? Well, the, obviously the Torah did not want to do what they did in England, have a debtor's prison. You get it? Uh, so they sold them into Ebed Ivry. Now we all know Ebed Ivry is not Ebed Kanani. And you don't have a Kenyan Agu for anything like this, but there is forced servitude. And so, you know, the guy, you know, $50,000, got to pay it off. But But you don't become a slave for life. You see? It's all about paying off your debts. And the truth of the matter is, we all know, um, what do you call it? There's only so much you can pay in six years of work, depending on who you are. You know, get an old man, and he runs up into a debt. There's only so much he can pay in, in six years. So you just have to write it off. You get what I'm saying? If it's what it means is, if I owe you $10 million, and I, you know, can the best I can do, because I'm not skilled, is work as a busboy or something like that. So, you you know, you're going to end up with a small piece of what, what's coming to you, and you have to write the rest of it off. It's your fault, you know, for for, for, for lending them that much money. Um, now, I'm sure that this must have shaken up the Claudius role, especially the sneaky guys, the financially clever guys, because they probably had people run up big debts, and they figure, I'll get a slave for life. And instead they're told, You can uh, have the guy for six years as a maximum, uh, as a maximum, and then you just have to write the rest off. Now you say, but he he got into heavy debt with me. Well, uh, you had no business doing that. You see, and from now on, don't and you know don't lend people money to the to the degree that if they you know that that you'll lose, because um, as I just said before, uh, the person can only work as much as they can work, and then uh, you know you have to write it off. You have to write it off. You can't do it. Uh, you, can't, you won't get the rest of it. So this seems to me to be a piece of social legislation. Because what it's saying is, um, how do we have limitations on unbridled capitalism? Because if you have unbridled capitalism, the few rich people will, will, will get everybody else so much into debt that they'll buy them slaves and own all the land. And, you know, it'll be a, a capitalist, uh, you know what I mean, uh, a dystopia because another three people or four people own everything, so it would be good for them, be bad for the masses. <coughs> and you can be sure, by the way, that won't last forever because there'll be slave uprisings and, and things like this. 
This happened in our time with communism and all the rest of it, whose impetus was obviously there's something wrong with the system with a few people having put everybody else so heavy in the debt that they'll never ever get out of it. The Torah is telling you that, that there are certain limitations. And don't, even if you figure I can get a hold of this guy and twist him and turn him uh, like that salesman could do to me, uh, maybe, but there's a limit to it. Okay? And limit is Sheshami Avot, that you, know, you can only get so and so much money out of them. So uh, the last laugh will be on the Evid because you're selling them, um, you know, you're, you're selling them or lending them vast amounts of money and you'll never get it back. So don't lend the vast amounts of money. If you don't lend the vast amounts of money, chances are the guy won't be an Evid Ivory. He'll be able to pay back. You understand? No, you have to advance them limited amounts of money. Now, I want to say something. This is the ideal. That doesn't mean it worked in history because in the Haftorah, we have the whole thing where they let the slaves go as they were required to, but then they couldn't stand it and they took them back. And uh, perhaps I'll talk about it tomorrow. One of the reasons they take them back is the guy's like, I can't, you know, first of all, you can say like this, I'm used to being served by a slave. But second of all, I can't stand that you, you, you get the better of me. I'm supposed to be smarter than you. I lend you a lot of money and I'm not getting back most of it. So from the point of view of the, I mean, consider the following. Consider the following. I, I'm a regular schnook and I persuade you to lend me $10 million. And then I go and give the $10 million to people I like or something like that. And then I can't pay. And then I'm become a avid every. New, so what? So I put it for six years, right? I've given the money away to others or, or invested it somewhere else or buried it for all I know. So, uh, you know, uh, but can't be proven. So I'll work for six years. And then when the six years are up, I'll access the 10 million bucks. You see? So, it all depends how clever and sneaky you are, but that's what life is all about. That's why we have lawyers and accountants and financial advisors today. So, it turns out nothing has changed in human nature and the financial stuff in 3,000 years or more. Anyway, that's what strikes me as sort of the response to uh, Yisro. Once again, I want to thank Ruth Rotenberg and Glenn Miller uh, for sponsoring today in memory of the daughter. And as I said before, I hope the Neshama should have it really For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.